You are listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are back with a brand new novel this time. Well, not brand new. It's been around the block a few <laughs> times in the in the outside world, but it's new to us, and that is yeah, The yeah. Rules of Backyard Cricket by Jock Sarong. We are discussing the first to the eighth chapter today, the boot to gestation inclusive Herds. Mm, flex. I uh, I feel like I've thrown you a curveball here, and that's the uh, wrong sport. That's a good pun. That's a good pun. You know what? Yeah, you, you're right. It is the wrong sport, but there are balls involved in cricket, and I feel like I feel like it's appropriate. I was never a cricket kid. I was always baseball. Uh, wow. I played rugby also in high school. Are you even Australian? Um, no, no, definitely not. I, I don't think I was actually born. You know, I was born <laughs> on some other planet. Let's be real. Um, but you're right in that this this novel is relatively relatively new compared to the stuff that we we usually cover on this show and I've been really enjoying that I've been enjoying checking out some some modern novels with authors who are actually alive uh-huh. uh, and that we can speak with yes. I think that's the thing that I'm enjoying the most about covering these books um. <laughs> now I should say the reason we ended up on this novel yeah. because this might seem like a massive detour mm, it is is that <laughs> when we when we spoke with Robert got a few weeks ago we were discussing uh, after after we'd wrapped our interview yeah. you know some other stories that he thinks would be great for the show and he said that this was the greatest Australian crime novel he'd ever read. The greatest? The greatest. Oh my and I high praise. I thought to myself, it would be a disservice to the gimmick of the Murder Mystery World Tour uh-huh. to not explore this story. So we are taking a step aside from our East Asian mysteries, sure. covering a bit of Australian sport to then come back on our next book with some game-related Eastern mystery fiction, which is another challenge I've set you heard, but we'll get to that when we get to it. You've given me more challenges with this book, I think, than any book so far, so I'm looking forward to seeing how I I deal with all of this. (laughs) Um, I'm already a little bit confused with the setup here, but... Uh, the, the setup's pretty, pretty, you know, straightforward enough mm-hmm. as the murder mystery goes. We begin our novel with our protagonist in the boot of a car, yes. struggling to get out, um, and that sort of uses the framing device. And I guess, like, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not entirely sure what the mystery is here that I'm supposed to be solving, because uh, he's stuck in a boot of a car, but maybe someone else is going to get killed. I don't know what's going on. Who knows? Um, but we're following this this guy named Darren and his brother, Wally, um, and their their gentle giant friend, possible gangster Crago, uh, as they move through the world of cricket, um, as as the name implies. Well, Though, and uh, and their mother, who is yeah, and their mother, a, a heartwarming she, look, addition to the story. Yeah, well, she's supportive. She's there to like help out their their careers. Um, and it seems that that's very much what this story is about. It's about following these two brothers with the same sort of same background, the same mother, no father figure. He's, he's missing from the story mm-hmm. um, as any good, you know, adventurous uh, protagonist should have a missing father. And we're sort of seeing how their paths uh, diverge because they're very, they're very different characters. Yeah. Despite having very similar goals um, and, and lives even mm. um, like that's, that's something that I am really enjoying about this book that we we're, we're following from the perspective of uh, the perspective of Darren Um uh, who is a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah. Uh, he and, and Wally are both trying to strive to to win at cricket, to be the best players that Shirley has ever seen in, in Victoria, uh, while Wally is very, like, cut, cut and dry, straight and narrow kind of guy. This Darren character is like, yeah, I'll you know make the bat accidentally hit the the keeper in the face when he when he mouths me off. That's fine. That's not a problem. 
Um, and it seems like the, um, and this is why I'm enjoying this book, it seems like the kind of diverging point between the two of them was an incident where Darren uh, got his toes mowed off mm-hmm. by Wally. That seems to be like the inciting incident More that sets them on divergent paths. Um, because because up until that point, they're sort of the same, like just rough and tumble kids playing cricket together. But they have an argument and Wally like accidentally mangles his brother's yeah. toes. And he's like, I'll never do that again. Like, I promise I'm going to, I'm going to go straight. I'm going to be the, the nicest lad I could possibly be. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in this novel uh, and we're sort of following their, their journey, I guess, through the career of becoming cricket stars, um, which is, yeah, it's super fun. I think uh, I think the thing that I appreciated most about the beginning section of this book is the change of voice because the, the entire book, uh, as far as we've read, is set with Darren Keefe in the back of a car, tied, bound with his kneecap, shot out probably by a gun. Mm. Um and it's him reminiscing on how he got there, but the context yeah. of how he got there is apparently just playing backyard cricket and looking, as you say, to become uh, great cricketers in the Australian yeah. scene. And It's a very slow burn kind of novel. Mm. And the thing that I really like about it is that because he's reminiscing the whole way back to when he's a kid and up to when he's an adult, um, the, the change of voice and tone is so well executed. Like even yeah. uh, I, I've been rereading this as I've kind of just been doing other things uh, to try manage my time effectively as one does. Sure. And even not necessarily hearing when the chapters change and sometimes zoning out when we get to different bits of the story, it's so obvious to tell where you are up to in this book because each section of their life is uh, each section of their lives is written uh, tonally distinctly, even though it's from the same character's perspective. And there's a really great cohesion there with how that's done. And I think particularly, you know, Darren and Wally both are very rebellious, uh, you know, unchivalrous kids when they're young. And it's kind of interesting seeing that even in Darren's reminiscences of his brother Wally, you can still see that he thinks, oh, Wally's like me. And it's only as you Mm. get to when Wally actually starts to change that Darren's personality and perception of Wally's personality starts to creep away as well. It's just the 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 inflection of the characterization in this is just excellent. Yeah, I want to highlight a, a specific example to kind of kind of get in the mindset because there there is a passage where Darren he's thinking about you know his perfect dream scenario where it's him and his brother against the world, the crowds cheering, they're going out to bat, you know, together. And that's like his ultimate dream. This like perfect family. They're like making mom proud, all these very Australian, uh, you know, dream sort of stuff going on. But he, he adds at the end of this little piece of narration that of course he would be just a couple of runs ahead of Wally. Like they'd be together, but Darren would be just a little bit better. Yeah. And this like, this idea that he he does believe in the fantasy of like working as a family and working together and doing this, but he's got this little bit of selfishness that creeps <laughs> in as the story goes on. Yeah, um, is brilliant, and I think that also the uh, the the brilliant kind of tone is is supported by because I I know uh, I've definitely I've been listening to the audio book version of this uh, narrated by Rupert Degas, who is the most Australian man I have ever listened to in my life. <laughs> um, like most murder mystery stories that I've listened to have been, you know, the British voice, you know, the stage yeah, voice absolutely. that everybody uses when they're trying to be professional. And they're great. Um, some people have done some really outrageous voices. I remember Simon Brett trying to play his his female characters in his own novels mm-hmm. um, was really entertaining. But Rupert Degas, 
uh, really just goes completely ham on trying to make every character as uh, as Australian as he possibly can, and I'm, I'm loving it. And I think that the, the thing to kind of highlight here is that the story isn't just told from Darren's perspective. He It's it's literally, it's first-person narration. Like, mm. it's it's I thought this, and I did that. And so the uh, often very visceral descriptions and incomplete descriptions that we get of scenes and moments... Um, they would feel very out of place if this was supposed to be, you know, third-person narration. But because it's coming from Darren's perspective, we have this unreliable narrator. Um, everything feels very real. Even the moments where we're discussing actually playing cricket, which, like, I don't really know the rules. I don't yeah. particularly care for the sport myself. But we can feel him, the the passion that he, that he's using and the confidence in, like, describing the different the different types of pitches um, and the moves that he's making, and because he 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 basically is able to on the pitch actually uh, you know analyze every single ball that's coming towards him, and this is what lends him the advantage, um, and ends up with him having a, a career in cricket is that he's able to figure out what's going on, or at least he thinks he does. I think the other thing that's really great uh, about the the characterization, and particularly looking at the way the sport is played out, is how the game is always almost a separate entity to the player's characters. Sure. Uh, You know, Darren, when he gets on the field, goes from being this wild, uncontrollable brat to kind of being immersed in it. Like the moment I think back on particularly is when they have their first match with a club and uh, the wicketkeeper behind Darren gets hit and he stays there. And it's actually Wally who calls him through when the uh, the sportsman-like thing to do would be check that the wicketkeeper is okay. Yeah, he just starts he just starts running and like getting points because that's all he cares about. Um, I think that there's a very interesting discussion there. Yeah. It's kind of nice that they have these opposite characterizations on the field so that then when you get a bit later in the novel, the last uh, kind of the, one of the last things that happens is that uh, Wally and his girlfriend have a child in gestation. Yeah, and for sure. For it's sure. really interesting because it's framed as though Wally's life is out of control when clearly the premise yeah. of the novel is that it's the other way round. But because you have the context of them being switched when it comes to being on the field, then when it gets switched in the outside world, it flows really well because it feels like there has been a setup for it. Well, the interesting there, and I think this is going to be part of the narrative moving forward, is that Darren is very much perceived as the problem child. Mm. He's the one who's got this like this brash, uncontrollable, bratty energy, um, whereas Wally is like the straight and narrow. And in that moment where Wally is the one who has an unexpected pregnancy, all anyone really says is, well, it, it's funny it wasn't you, Darren. Like, it's yeah. funny that you weren't the one that's making these mistakes. So in a sense, even though, like, he Darren has done nothing wrong in this in, in that scene, in that chapter, he's the one who's still getting the flack for it, <laughs> which I think is, is really it feels, cool. It feels like we're getting back to what tripped me up just last week when it comes to, you know, me suspecting that, well, you normally identifying where love is the right or wrong thing in a story and me just messing it up every time. Uh, I think for me reading through this book the first time, I was like, oh, cool. Wally's life's going to go off the rails and then Darren, uh, Darren's going to try save him. And that's when his life goes off the rails. But no, I was, I was yeah, just wrong the whole time. Interesting. <laughs> that's a very, that's an interesting take. No, I, I think that this novel is going to be like more or less simple in its characterization, but 
I'm I'm expecting, particularly because we haven't had a murder and there's clearly like larger things going on here, I'm expecting things to get pretty yeah. crazy uh, towards the end. I'm looking forward to it. Um, the other thing that I do kind of like in this book that I was expecting to be more of a throwaway characterization was their mother. Because I figured, especially when they start kind of getting older and becoming a bit more independent, that the character of the mother was going to drift. But they're actually still fairly attached to their mother. Not that they're, like, reliant on her, but she's always there. And, you know, when they mess up and even when uh, Wally's about to have a kid, you know, it's it's about the mother's reaction. And I like her as a through line of the book because she is kind of the one moral constant that we have so far. Yeah. Everyone else has been learning and growing and changing and regressing as they have their various character moments. But their mother is kind of stalwart. And even though she has that kind of larrikin edge where she's like, oh, well, you know what? That wicket keeper getting hit in the face, that just happens in sport. It was good you got the runs, <laughs> right? But, yeah. you know, she's still uh, this very heartwarming, charming character that provides the moral center for the book. And I think that for what I felt was going to be a real throwaway uh, character, she's been so well used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she doesn't seem to be um, – well, she's obviously very, very present in the – you know, the childhood sequences at the start of the book, which went on for way longer than I was expecting. I was really happy with that. Yeah. Um, but watching her, because we get this whole characterization of her being uh, that, that she works, like she looks after a bar and she's, you know, not the stereotypical bartender. Like she's very like genuine, but also doesn't like take nonsense. Like mm-hmm. she's just a really confident woman who is working to support, like to support her kids. Yeah. Her kids are her life in the same way that she is, she is there. It's like family is super important. Um, to this story and yeah, just, just seeing the lengths that she'll go to, um, to, to try and make sure that her kids have a good life and that they're able to pursue their passion Mm. is really admirable. I think that's like the biggest, the, the biggest sort of compliment I can give to all the characters. They, they're all admirable in very specific ways. Even Darren, who's a bit of a dropkick, uh, as, as one might say, uh, is admirable in, in that he wants to do big things and he works hard to like get, like achieve his goals. Yeah. Every character in here is like very three dimensional. Yeah. Um, except for maybe a couple of the like cartoony villain, uh, private school boys (laughs) that come in early in the childhood segment. The ones, the ones that Krager beats up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what was going on there. I was like, (laughs) are they they trying to set up more suspects? Like, I feel like these are too throwaway to be suspected later on in the story, but, Uh but no, they were there just to get beat up, which was great. It'd almost be very fitting if they end up like becoming Krager's gang and it was all a ruse from the whole time they were children. Krager had been plotting their downfall from youth. I don't think so. (laughs) The the problem is, and we'll, we'll get into Krager, I think in the second half this story because I do I do want to talk about him. Yeah, yeah, but, for sure. Uh, I I feel like Krager's moral complexity only works if if he is running on adrenaline mm. in in that particular scene. Yeah, um, when he when he like has to beat a bunch of kids up despite seeming a very gentle person. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, that's going to do us for the story discussion. We'll be back with the mystery yeah. at the end of the show today. Uh, we are discussing chapters one through eight. That is the boot to gestation in Jock Sarong's The Rules of Backyard Cricket. This is Flex and Herds on Death of the Reader. We'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you discussing Jock Sarong's The Rules of Backyard Cricket. 
chapters one to eight, the boot to gestation. And Herds, before we continue, I'd like to file a small complaint with whoever put together the ebook version that I'm reading, because for some godforsaken reason, they neglected to put in chapter numbers nor a chapter list. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty <laughs> abysmal. Yeah, I thought I had a bad. On the uh, on the audiobook version I have here, it doesn't have chapter names, it just has the numbers. <laughs> so I have to kind of flick through and listen to the narrator telling me what the chapter name is. Um, I mean, it's it's fine, it works, but it's not, it's not super convenient. It's a bit silly. Anyway, it's all right. now, Herds, obviously the challenge with the mystery in this story is that as far <laughs> as we know, obviously? no one is dead. No, no, this is, look- th- Sometimes I feel cheated when we get to this section and I'm like, wait, but where's the murder? And I still feel cheated, mm-hmm. but slightly less so because I, I feel like though this is a mystery story and there's probably going to be a murder somewhere in here, I'm not convinced that it is following all the conventions of a murder mystery story. Mm. If that makes like, we've already had several of the, of the rules broken, like Van Dyne's that could be, you know, like secret societies or organizations because there's clearly like, gangs yep. in this story. Like, that's just the thing that we have. Um, and, like, there's a man in the boot of a car. If that doesn't tie in, I'll be very surprised. Like, there's clearly rules being broken here, and I don't expect this story to follow a lot of the conventions of a, of a traditional murder mystery. There is no Watson. Um, like, there's, there's none of these things, uh, which, is, which is fine. When we were talking with Robert Gott, who I mentioned earlier in the show, who was the one who introduced us to this book, uh, he said that, you know, the rules of murder mystery fiction that we normally adhere to tend to be how to write a novel by the author whose list of rules you're reading. Of course, of course. Which is which is intrinsically true, but I think is a little sure. reductive, um, unless you're talking about Elmore Leonard's rules, who we haven't brought up on the show for very particular oh reasons. Let's <laughs> not talk about that. Oh, dear. Um, well, maybe not the reasons you're expecting, Herds, but... Uh, and the other one was, is when we were talking with Solari Gentil, and she was saying that you can't really set a novel in Italy without dealing with the mafia, or in Shanghai without dealing with the gang bosses there. And I'd say that Joxerong has done the same thing here, where we're in Australia with gangland crime, because that is, sure. I guess... The closest thing Australia has to a crime industry? I guess so. I'm not an expert in the criminal underworld, Herds. Not not in Australia, I'm not. I'd rather keep it somewhere else so that if I accidentally uncover some, like, real crime, I'm, I'm not on someone's hit list. That's, that's basically <laughs> Fair enough too. My, my philosophy in Australia. Um, but yeah, I look, I, I don't even know. This is something I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I I feel like, like my gut is telling me that the mystery that I'm supposed to be res- like resolving here is how did how did Darren end up in the boot of a car and mm-hmm. that he's the one who's going to get murdered. But I also feel like it would be a little bit strange to just like have the final scene of the novel be like, and then Darren is murdered. Like that'd be a little bit weird. So I wonder if somebody else might get murdered. Yeah, I have a couple of suspects. Not many, mind you. Mm, there's not many named characters in the book. Well, he- here's the thing. I- I've already said that you know we've thrown you know some of the the rules of murder mystery out the window already. But one that I think will hold true is that the um the the criminal must be introduced in the early part of the story. And for me, uh, with this story specifically, I think that the early part of the story actually means uh, Darren's childhood. Yeah. Um, I think that that is a no-brainer, and that only really leaves me with, like, two suspects that could feasibly be murdering later on. What, their mother um, and Krager? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I think that... I don't think that mum could be on the table. Um, I think that the only the only sort of murderers that I could see doing, doing anything in this story is uh, actually 
Wally and Krago. Mm. Um, because let's not forget that Wally is part of the the duality of this story that makes it tick and that it revolves around him. Absolutely. Um, I'm also going to say I have seen a book cover that is that looks like one child kneeling in a field and the other child standing behind him with his fingers behind, like a, like kind of like they're pointing a gun at the back of his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I I feel like the obvious. Uh, the obvious ending to this story is that Wally is the one that is that is killing Darren, but like why is kind of eluding me at this point. Yeah, and I also don't want to discount Krager because there is a lot of stuff going on with him that I that I think uh, could lead to him being a killer. Mm. Such, I mean, obviously he's a gangster. Like that is just the thing that he is. Um, but there's a lot of like extra characterization, and I, I do want to talk about Krager because I've I've always said that it is never the thug character. It's never the like tough guy with the scrappy clothes and the big crowbar is like, what do you want? I ain't, got, I ain't killed nobody. He's usually telling the truth because they're too simple to lie. And that most murder mysteries about like the intellectual battle, like the character is typically not the murderer, but um, there is one moment that makes me suspect Krago uh, above all others. Um, and that is in the aforementioned scene back in part one, because when we're introduced to Krago, he's kind of, Happy go lucky, like he's just he's just there to play cricket, and uh, he he hits the ball as hard as he can, and Darren's shouting at him to run, like what are you doing, just standing there? And he's like, no, it'll it'll make it, <laughs> it'll make it there, and it's like, what are you talking about? What are you? What's gonna make it? It's just oh, don't worry about it. And he, we watch as the ball like goes out of the field, and he's like, yep, I just just get my run, like I could just walk walk the pitch. Uh, which is a great characterization moment for him, especially when Wally and Darren are accosted by the opposite team, the like schoolyard, like preppy kid bullies, and Krago steps in to save them because um, he's kind of a gentle giant character, which I, I quite like this this archetype. He's a um, he's a gentle sp- giant character with a bit of a tendency for a blood rush. Yes, exactly, and that's why I like him because the gentle giant character is usually like you know they're going to save the day because they're the only character who's simple enough but also strong enough to like wield that power in a responsible way and that's usually the connotation of the character mm. but uh Krago here just goes ham on these guys he just beats them up and he grabs the cricket bat he's about to just brain this kid uh and i, I believe it's Darren has to stop him he's like wait don't like don't kill these guys this is not worth it and Krigo calms down and the way that's described in the book is that there is an animalistic glare in his eyes um and i think that to introduce the as this aspect of Krigo's character where he can have a blood rush he can like lose his senses i think that's got to play in um into the the final moments of this story somehow um i i'll be entirely honest i'm i'm not sure which of the two uh, out of Krago and Wally is my my actual killer right now because yeah. thematically I feel like it makes more sense for Wally to end up like doing Darren in but I wonder if maybe maybe Wally's maybe Wally's gonna get killed because he's being set up as like the perfect guy and Darren's always right behind him and like wants to get ahead. I wonder if we're gonna have like we've had a, a, at least one culprit who's similar to this where they think they're doing the main character a solid by offing their rival or their somebody that doesn't like them very much. Um, and that'll lead to like Darren getting put under even more scrutiny. Like, did you kill your star brother? And there'd be the whole media circus. Like, I think that'd be great. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either way. And it's mostly because to bring it all the way back around, I don't have a corpse. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who's going to get killed. The it's question I have heard 
Yeah. Why haven't you suspected Darren? Why would I suspect Darren? Well, what if he's in the back of a car because he's just killed someone and he's been thrown in by some vigilante justice? I feel like... I I don't even know how to respond to that. That seems so out of left field. You think that you think that Darren has killed someone off screen? Because here's here's the thing: if this is a a mystery with a murder in it at some point, which is what Robert Gott has posed to us, um, you would typically have the murder be the 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 climax with the way that this novel is set up. I I would if I were writing this, I would have the murder be like the climax of the story in some way or another, like the reveal of the culprit or the actual murder, that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess the the reason I say that, Herds, and the question that we are going to ask ourselves over the next couple of weeks, though I don't want to get too in-depth on it today, is that clearly, as we say, there hasn't been a murder yet in this story. No. Uh, we, we don't really know what's going on. We're not in any set location. We've broken so many of the conventional murder mystery rules. Which is great. Is this story still a like a mystery novel in the sense that we treat it? There is a mystery. That is a truth. There is a mystery of how Darren ends up in the back of the car. Can I ask you, is that what I'm supposed to be solving? What you were going to riddle me out today, Herds, is why you think Darren is in the back of that car. I think there's been plausible enough evidence. Okay. However, given its contextual difficulty and lack of traditional fair play, though I would not say it a lack of altogether fair play, If you lose this point, but do well enough the following week, you can still get your full two points, Herds. Yeah, I mean, I'm struggling on on the evidence side of things just because I feel like we spend so much time looking at these kids. I could probably argue one of the core themes of this story is about how Darren and Wally are opposites and there's this, like, public perception, all that sort of thing. I, I think that this is... Uh, the, the way that the the two of them are kind of perceived by the media in particular, we've had these interviews um, with Amy Harris where Darren is completely unable to um, to kind of keep his poker face on, yeah. um, which is something that Wally kind of exceeds with in, in spades here. Obviously, we're dealing with kind of the rough and tumble nature of, of cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the, with the, the air around sport, but I am familiar with... Um, how uh, sporting sporting fields in general, uh, whether it be rugby or cricket or baseball, um, they have sort of underhanded dealings behind them. Mm. I think that might be an element of the story here. Well, you're thinking we're um, getting some match fixing. Something like that. Yeah, I think in the broadest terms, uh, I think that Darren has gotten himself caught up with... I mean, he has a friend who's like in a gang, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if Craigo is kind of an enabler in this story who like gets him involved in this, like these criminal dealings um, that kind of underscore cricket um, in Australia. And I think that basically like we've had this Pitbull guy introduced. Yeah. um, And, and Amy Harris is like trying to get to the heart of the story and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, um, maybe she'll even come back and like expose what's going on. Maybe that's what's going to happen. But I feel like what's, sort of going to be the, the twist in this story is that Darren has uh, crossed someone, maybe on purpose, maybe inadvertently, because he's kind of an idiot. He's kind of characterized by his luck. Um, he's sort of really good at just being in the right place at the right time and like playing well, sort of a second nature. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like this is going to end up with him uh, falling into the path of some some criminal types. Maybe is this Pitbull character 
Um, but I think that Krago is going to be kind of his his path into damnation, so to speak. Um, because, and I, I think this ties into his character because Krago is like a really nice guy. He's like helping Darren out. He like gives him a car, like he gives him a place to live, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the underside is like a total dirtbag, <laughs> like, and this like thug gangster guy. And I feel like that's going to be sort of a sort of an indication of of cricket as a whole. I think that's what the conversation is angling towards. This idea that something that is good and pure on the outset, which is how Darren kind of views the sport, he sees it as you know all that matters is how many runs you get. That's all I care about. Um, it's going to change to be more about the stuff that's under the hood, um, the stuff that Craigo was probably more more invested in, and, mm. and Wally's also probably more aware of. I'm uh, I'm interested in your approach here, Herds. You're kind of reaching for some things that are right on the periphery of the story at the moment. All right, great. I'm um, I'm looking forward to reading more of it and seeing how things sort of unfold. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get into over the next couple of weeks, looking at how this fits into the broader detective fiction and murder mystery fiction genre, because as we've spoken in. Uh, many previous episodes, you know, particularly in the modern day, there is uh, there's a, there's a very different interpretation that I think this book reflects, and I'm excited to discuss it a bit more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. I I don't even know what to expect at this point. I'm just I'm just along for the ride. Next week on the show, we are going to be discussing chapters nine to fourteen, Squibbly to Resurrection. Herds, I hope you're ready for this one. I'm ready. I'm ready, spaghetti. Let's go. This is Jock Sarong's The Rules of Backyard Cricket on Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. Thank you so much for joining us this time around. We'll be back with more of that next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>